Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside Ian Unsworth, and we've got you covered all the way up until the 10 a.m. hour here on the score 1260. And we've got a lot to talk about, Ian. If you miss any part of the show, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts, whether that's on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or on our website at orangefizz.net. And Ian, I don't really want to focus a whole lot on Brian. That's kind of a game where, you know, you can't really extrapolate a lot from the season based off of that. But just Talking about the basketball season, what do you expect going forward for this Syracuse program? Who are the guys that really stand out to you? Because I think for me, Joe Girard's the MVP of this team. Thomas, I'm completely with you. Bryant's a team that's replacing nine roster spots from last year. It, they're, not, they're not a team Syracuse can really hold themselves against, test themselves against. But I'm with you on Joe Girard. He's going to have to carry this offense, especially in crunch time, because he was the second option last year as a freshman. He's got the best best three point shooting skill set. He's got, I, I he's just got more of that that mojo than Buddy does. He steps up in big moments. He takes those big shots, and while he's only six one, he's still going to be the guy. He's bringing the ball up the floor at the end of the day. There's no more Elijah Hughes. Who takes that last second shot? Who takes the three when the clock's running down? It's going to be JG three. No, absolutely. I think. Look, uh, you mentioned it, Ian. No Elijah Hughes. Obviously, we'll get into Alan Griffin a little bit later. He's a huge integral part of this team. But Joe Girard, like you mentioned, he's the guy who has the it factor. He's the guy who wants to take that last shot. Buddy Bayheim's a great three-point shooter, don't get me wrong. But he doesn't seem to be the guy that wants the ball when the clock's running down. That's Joe Girard for this team. I think it's a little bit weird to say. I don't think he's the most talented guy in this team. I don't even know if he's one of the two most talented guys on this team. But Joe Girard, in my opinion, will be the MVP of this team. And how far Joe Girard goes and how far he advances will determine how good of a team Syracuse can be because they're going to live and die by the three and they're going to live and die by Joe Girard and how well he can manipulate manipulate this offense. And you mentioned Buddy Bayheim in there about Buddy Bayheim doesn't have the ball in his hands that much. You're completely right on that. And I know over the offseason, he was Bayheim was working with, you know, former SU guard Eric Devendorf about balance, dribbling with balance, playing defense with balance. But at the same time, he's still a, he's a shooter at the end of the day. He's a catch and shooter. He's still going to run around screens, get his shots up in transition. He's not one to create off the dribble. I think as much as I hate to say it, the Virginia Tech game last year where he had, what, 17, 19 in the first half just was absolutely unguardable. It seemed like a bit of an anomaly because when it got time to play that top caliber competition like Florida State, Buddy Beheim just didn't really show up. So he's got to start making threes first and foremost in those big games to help Joe Girard, help Alan Griffin be that second or third option on a consistent basis. And then once he starts doing that, especially in big situations, then we can see him expand that repertoire, get into those dribble moves, maybe find himself in the middle of the floor, get down low in the paint off some back cuts. But I, I just need to see it more consistently from Buddy Beheim before I'm really sold on him as a second, third option. Thomas Schultz alongside Ian Unsworth here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260 all the way 
up until the 10 o'clock hour. And Ian, you mentioned something that I find a little bit interesting. You said Buddy Beheim, that game against Virginia Tech, really that half against Virginia Tech, is kind of an anomaly. I think you're right. I think it is an anomaly to an extent. Like, I think he can give you 20 best games, 25 points a game, shooting seven, hitting seven threes. But like you said, he's not going to be able to be this guy who is going to, you know, have 17 points and a half very often. It, it, it works to the streakiness of Buddy Beheim, And I think overall, that's not a bad thing for the Orange, right? Because you have three guys who all can be streaky and all can get hot at different times throughout the game with Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim, Alan Griffin now. So I don't think maybe that's not a huge problem for them. I, I think that's really honestly one of the keys to the season is that they're going to be able to hit these threes and that they can rely on maybe one guy's missing. But you still have two other guys who can knock down those open shots. Besides the three, I think the biggest issue for this team is going to be at the top of the 2-3 zone. And we'll get to that specifically a little bit later. But what are your keys going into the season, not just for improvement and for strengths of this team, either on offense or defense, but also what things do they need to work on from last year? Well, from last year, I think we could all watch a Syracuse basketball game and point out the major, major flaw with that team. And it was down low. Every single game, it was Dolajai and Sidibe racking up fouls at an astronomical pace. I think Barama Sidibe, before his stretch at the end of the season where he just turned into a double-double machine, that dude was he was averaging at least four fouls per game. And Dolajai was right behind him, somewhere in the three range. It, these dudes could not play without fouling. And immediately, it turned this basketball team into small ball. And they're not the Houston Rockets. It doesn't work in Syracuse if they don't have a big guy at the five who eats up space in the paint and can control the glass. So hopefully we see more of Quincy Guerrier this year because he is key for rebounding down low. And hopefully Barama Sidibe, he looks bigger. Are you with me there? He like Barama Sidibe looks like he has put on some muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He looks a lot bigger. And Quincy Gary is a guy who already had that muscle coming in as a freshman, something you don't really see a whole lot. And I'm with you there, Ian. I think Quincy Gary is really the X factor of this team. He's the guy that needs to take. Joe Girard obviously needs to take that next step. So does Merrick Dolashai. Barama Sidibe needs to show that the end of last season wasn't a fluke. But Quincy Gary is the guy where you're thinking, this guy's got the most potential on the team. He could be an NBA prospect after this season, really, if he develops into this guy that he could be. And a lot of that starts down low. I mean, he's the guy, there'd be times where he comes into games last season, Syracuse is down, Barama Sidibe, Merrick Dolajai just not getting it done. And Gary just comes in and is this immediate spark plug off the bench. Now, the biggest issue for him, though, besides his shooting, was his fouling, just like Barama Sidibe. That's, I think, a huge issue going into the season is that all three of those guys, they just foul, man. Like, they just can't stop fouling. And that's what got Syracuse down against some of these better opponents. That's why they couldn't hang with teams like Florida State, the one of the most lengthy teams in the country last season, or a team like Duke, teams like that. Because they just didn't have the guys down low to get it done. And I think that's going to be a huge issue now on defense. Maybe you don't have the guys up top to get it done either, but down low is going to be a huge problem going forward. But I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Gary A. fouling because all of his fouls just seem to be effort plays. It was him just going a bit too hard down low or on the boards. A lot of Dolzhai's fouls were just dumb, silly fouls, like hacking a ball handler three-quarters of the way down the court. Just stuff stuff that you should not be seeing from a junior who's played since, a, at, since his freshman year. In terms of Gary A., 
I think there's so much untapped potential. We have to remember, we didn't know he was playing with a groin injury all of last season until the summer. And he's got, he had successful surgery. It seems like he's almost back to 100%. And I think the potential, like the sky is the limit for Quincy Gary. He's a guy that's been on, you know, got sophomores to watch list. He's, you know, he's sneaky under the radar good. And like you said, Thomas, if he develops that jump shot in any sort of way, he's going to be a guy the NBA scouts are going to have to look at because he just plays with so much effort. And you're right. You're completely right about just adding that spark. Last year, it seemed like every time Gary hopped in the game, it was a and one out of nowhere. You see him flexing his muscles under the basket, you know, a couple big putback dunks, stuff like that. He brought that spark, that energy to the Syracuse team that looked lifeless at times last year. So I'm with you. He is going to be a major spark plug down low. I had him as my most improved player coming into this season. I mean, that's a big old fingers crossed because I don't know how far he got with that injury. However, I'm just I'm very sold on Quincy Gary and his potential. However, one guy that I really want to see, I think down in terms of if we're talking down low, I want to see what Frank Anselm has in his tank because there have been a lot of lot of, you know, rumors floating around about his potential. Yeah, we talked to Frank Anselm's head coach over the summer. You can find that on orangefizz.net as well under our podcast section. I think Frank Anselm is a guy, look, if Ramos at eBay starts to struggle, He's the, he's the first guy off the bench. Now, I'm excited to see how Jesse Edwards also improves um, after a freshman season where he showed some promise. He showed some flashes of the player he could be. Of course, he has to get a lot stronger. Um, I, I think Frank Anselm is a guy who could really be a key factor going forward. But going into, as we wrap up this segment here, a little bit of team expectations and maybe some guys whose improvement are most important for the team's success. I think this team in general, look, they're going to play... 25 26 games now this is a team that is I predicted to go 15 and 11 I think they're a good team they added some early season games that um, they didn't have a couple of weeks ago that I think are going to be important not just to get the legs under the team but also just to add some wins and add some really important wins to potential NCAA tournament run later on so I think that's kind of a good they're going to be a bubble team again I think really we mentioned Joe Girard a little bit earlier and how important he is I think another guy that's really important is just how good can Barama Sidibe be in his senior season? Because, look, his first two years on the Hill, first three, he was kind of injured, kind of banged up. Last season, towards the end of the season, we really started to see him put it together. And then, of course, COVID-19 pandemic, everything ends. We don't really get to see how far he can progress if they make an NCAA tournament run. His development down low, not just on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end as a scorer, that's something Syracuse hasn't had in years under Jim Beheim, So that's going to be really important. That's my key contributor to this coming season. And what do you think this record's going to be? And who's your key guy to look out for? Well, I have them at 17 and nine. I think they're wow. just a bit better. I think they're a bit better than 15 and 11. If we're being completely honest, my key contributor is Alan Griffin, because I'm not sure if Joe Girard is ready to step into that Elijah Hughes role. I don't think anybody else besides Girard or Alan Griffin can be that sort of number one de facto scoring option that Elijah Hughes was last year. And Griffin, he just brings everything that Elijah Hughes brought as a role player. So I'm, I'm maybe thinking he can, he can make that jump because he did the same sort of stuff that Elijah Hughes did well when he was a third option, you know, kind of just camping out, waiting for three point shots. He shot, he shoots the ball extremely well from deep. 
He, he can shoot it from NBA range. No problem there. He can get to the basket off it when he's moving in the flow of the offense. He can work it pretty well. Haven't seen him that much in pick and roll at Illinois because they had other guards to do that sort of thing. But the potential is there. And it's, it was the same sort of thing with Elijah Hughes. The potential was there. We just didn't see it that much because he was deferring to a Tyus Battle or a Frank Howard. So maybe maybe it's this year or maybe it's 2021-22. But I'm expecting Alan Griffin to make that jump. I just don't know when it's going to be. If it's this year, though, this Syracuse team immediately goes from maybe a bubble team to a fifth place, fourth place in the ACC and attorney lock for, for the first time in what seems like forever. If Alan Griffin can be 80% of what Elijah Hughes was, along with that development of the rest of the team, Syracuse could be really dangerous heading in to ACC conference play. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about another guy and his role on the football team and how much of an impact he could have stepping in for a potential injured star. Stick with us. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio. Thomas Schultz joined alongside by Ian Unsworth. And we're going to talk a little bit of football. And we're going to stick with football next segment when we welcome Rob McLam, an NC State beat reporter, to the show on Fizz Radio here on the score 1260. But Ian, look, obviously we can talk about this football season and how bad they're going to be. Jacoby Morgan, we're not sure if he's going to play on Saturday. It seems like you have to start Dylan Markowitz. There's no reason to be starting a guy like Rex Culpepper, a redshirt senior. It, it just when you're going for a developmental year, why in the world would you start him? Why is he playing Dylan Markowitz? We haven't really seen what he could do. He just didn't even throw a pass last game when he got in. But this is a time if Morgan can't play for Markowitz to just get a couple of reps and just get in the feel of the game. I don't think anybody cares whether Syracuse wins or loses anymore. I hate to say it, but I think it's true. I think you're right. It it this see this season has come to the point where it's all about development. Jacoby and Morgan, he's his Lixon. And while last week's Louisville disaster was terrible, it was it was absolutely awful. At least we saw Jacoby and Morgan look like a freshman. Is is am I right there? At least we know there's going to be a couple growing pains. He's gotta work through it. And Louisville confused him. He 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 was stunned out there. But as long as we see that there is there's a place to go up because against BC he kind of looked like a world beater. I'm not gonna lie, he looked pretty darn good, and I was like, huh, it, like why was this? Why was this dude starting from day one? Because he's bringing a lot more to the table than either Devito or Culpepper. Like I I just didn't see it from him. I saw something from Jacoby and Morgan that I liked. I was confused, and then. Louisville kind of brought me back down to earth. I was like, okay, let, let me reevaluate my expectations here for a freshman quarterback who was who Syracuse stole away from Jackson State. So I say all that to say this. Absolutely, Dylan Markowitz should be in the game because I want to I want to see what he has to offer. I want to see what he has to offer. Does he have that it factor like Jacoby and Morgan showed to me? Because from all the chatter we've been hearing, Thomas, it seems like Morgan's sort of this dual threat guy that can get outside the pocket and make plays, but Markowitz is the dude with the cannon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he played high division 5A high school football in Texas. His high school stadium seats like 20,000 people. This guy has been playing high level competition basically his whole football career. And so I I think you're right, Ian. Nobody cares about wins or losses at this point. When you're 1 and 8, you got two games against NC State and Notre Dame, you're probably going to lose both of them. Why care about that? You're not going anywhere. Like, even if you go three and eight, maybe you found your quarterback because that's the only way how. But 
besides that, I think this is a great opportunity to go into next season, having a few guys who have had reps and to have an open competition because sure, Tommy DeVito is probably the guy next year, but you're bringing in Justin Lampson. We talked to his head coach and I've written plenty of articles about him on orangefizz.net. You've got Jacoby Morgan coming back. Like you mentioned, showed some good things against BC, Louisville, everything went bad that could have gone bad for Syracuse. The offense yeah. as a total throws for 45 yards in that game. Five of those Rex Culpepper, 40 Jacoby and Morgan. And then you have Dylan Markwitz, who, like you mentioned, has this cannon of an arm. Now, there's a reason, I'm sure, that he's the fourth string quarterback into the season, right? Like, it's not like he's going to light the world on fire, probably. But he also fits into Dino Baber's offense really, really well. Because he's this guy who's got this cannon of an arm, and in this orange is the new fast offense that Dino Babers and Sterling Gilbert, who we'll talk about in just a bit, like to run, Dylan Markowitz seems a guy seems like a guy who's a perfect fit for that offense. And he has that cannon. Why not let him sling it around? Let let's not do the conservative play calling today. Can we please not do it from Sterling Gilbert? I love Sean Tucker. I love him so so much because he's one of the only bright spots we have. Man, I would love to see Dylan Markowitz just sling the ball around the field, throw it deep to Taj Harris, throw it deep to Nikeem Johnson, let those dudes get some shine, because they they were nowhere to be found last weekend. They were nowhere to be found. I think both of them only had one reception. They We need to see Taj Harris and Nikeem Johnson really get involved in this offense, and the way to do it is going to be to just open up the playbook. Who cares at this point? Open up the playbook. Let Markowitz swing, sling it around. Thomas, you want to know something crazy? What's that? Tommy DeVito is still the orange passing leader this year with 593 <laughs> passing yards. That's he hasn't terrible. played since the Duke game. <laughs> that's that's kind of very just just encapsulates this season for Syracuse. Thomas Schultz alongside Ian, Zon, Ian Unsworth on Fizz Radio. And Ian, I've got a stat for you, actually. You mentioned Nikeem Johnson, Tosh Harris, each only had one catch against Louisville last Friday night. Anthony Queeley had three. He led the team. Aaron Hackett had one. And when you look at Anthony Queeley, I think he had like three for 32 yards, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you go, all right, that's still not very good. But then you look at it, that's half of the team's receptions on Friday. To Anthony Quigley for 32 yards. It's just, it's ridiculous how bad this offense has been. And I'm with you. Why, when Dylan Markowitz is coming to the game, you're down 30-0, to zero, your first shutout loss since 2016 to number two Clemson in Death Valley. Why are you running the ball? Like, I understand you just want to get done with the game, get out of Kentucky, be done with it. But at least let your quarterback show what he can do a little bit. Like, we've seen what Cooper Lutz can do. There's no reason to give him four straight handoffs to finish the game. Let Dylan Markowitz get a little action. Do something. Throw some quick slants. Throw a bump. See what you can do because this is your first opportunity to play, albeit a second string ACC defense at that point of the game. But maybe that's better for you to build that confidence a little bit. And I think, look, I think you and I have the same thought process here. I don't know what Sterling Gilbert, Gilbert has done this year. I don't know why they've immediately just been so conservative. I don't know if it's him or Dino, but something's got to change because this offense has just been downright terrible all season long. I don't know what's going to change if we're being completely honest, Thomas. That's the disappointing part. Is anything going to change in these next two games? I mean, Notre Dame's defense is is ridiculously good. Yeah, They are ridiculously good. The fact that they stopped, let me get this right, DJ Uyangalale 
I think I, 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 I think, think right. I think I, I hit that it. one right on the head. DJ Uyan Galile and that Clemson offense that just it's just loaded with talent. And the fact that Notre Dame shut them down, it does not bode well for Syracuse. NC State's defense, we'll talk about it with with uh, Rob in a couple minutes, but you know, they're they're pretty good. So there's no reason to be conservative. I I really don't I really don't think Dino is on the sideline playing to win necessarily, but he's definitely playing to lose if we're being completely honest because Syracuse is not built to run the ball uh, you know 25 30 times. No. Syracuse is meant to wing the ball around the field, get it on the outside like we saw last year to Tristan ja- like Tristan Jackson made a huge impact catching the screens, catching the ball down the field. That's what needs to be happening. The, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen screens enough this year. There have been zero screen passes either to running backs or wide receivers. That's where Taj Harris really made his money last year. And like we said earlier, he only had one catch last week. That needs to be built back into the offense because that's a safe option for a young quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. We haven't seen a whole lot of screens. We've seen a lot of lateral passes to the sideline where maybe a guy breaks it off for a first down. I think a big issue is, they just don't have a guy that can take the top off this year. Tristan Jackson was the guy last year. Jamal Custis before that. Before him, I mean, Steve Ishmael. As long as Dino Babers has been here, he's had a guy that can just go deep and go make plays, which opens up the offense for everybody else. Nikeem Johnson, maybe he was going to be that guy this year. Hasn't panned out. Maybe Taj Harris was supposed to be the guy. He's supposed to be the wide receiver one. That hasn't panned out. So Anthony Queeley seems like a guy that Maybe he doesn't have the speed to take the top off, but is a really good receiver over the middle of the field. That doesn't really work if the safety's playing pretty low because he's not worried about somebody running past him. There's just, there's a lot of problems. And we know this, this isn't new. This isn't new information that I'm giving you, but there's just, there's a ton of issues revolving around this team and revolving around the play calling. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Rob McLam, like you mentioned, Ian, NC State beat writer, and we're going to get his take on what the Orange can do to potentially win or at least stay in this game against the Wolfpack coming up in just a few hours. Stick with us. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside Ian Unsworth, and we're here all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour. Now we're joined by our special guest, Rob McLam. He's an NC State beat writer for the Wilson Times. Rob, thanks so much for joining us here on Fizz Radio. Now, I think Syracuse fans, we know this Syracuse team isn't good, but looking at NC State, last season they were 4-8. and eight. This year they're 6-3, and three, one of the better teams in the ACC. What's changed and what's led to this turnaround this season? Well, the talent really is, is, is kind of the same. It's, it's, it's more of the same. They haven't uh, had, had as much injuries as they did last year. They have a little more depth in that regard, but really it's just more of seems like it's almost a conviction or a belief because they haven't really added anything. Otherwise, I think most projected them to be about the same as, as they were last season. That's been probably Dave Dorn's best coaching job. Uh, this is his eighth year in Raleigh with the Wolfpack. So uh, for them to have this type of turnaround uh, has been quite remarkable. Last year, not only were they four and eight, but they were pretty much dominated in the ACC. The one game they won was Syracuse and they really needed a trick play to get that. Uh, they had the uh, uh, wide receiver pass, if I recall correctly. So it's been quite a turnaround. It's really more of an intangibles thing than anything. It's not really something where they've um, improved talent-wise because they're running the same players out there, and they're one of the younger teams in the nation. Rob, who are some players SU fans should be watching out for this Saturday? Well, NC State runs uh, running backs out there. They start with Ricky Person, Jr., 
And then probably the one that comes off the, this, the first one that comes off the bench is obviously Zonovan Knight. Zonovan Knight, a lot of people think he has Sunday potential. And uh, they're doing a good job of running both of those guys out there. Last week, I think one had 80-some yards. The other had almost 100. Knight scored two touchdowns. Uh, they beat a ranked Liberty team. I, I know you guys know Liberty. They, they won, I think, at Syracuse. So uh, it was uh, a good win for NC State. Uh, the running backs do well. I like Kerry Angeline a lot. I think he's another guy with Sunday potential. He's a tight end. They can bump out to the slot. Um, they have some good skill guys. Um, they have good guys out there that can, if they get them the ball. The problem, of course, is with NC State, their quarterback situation uh, with Bailey Hockman. He's not the, the regular starter. He's the filling guy. He's doing admirably, uh, but sometimes he uh, has issues with the long game, getting guys out there, uh, connecting with passes. But he's he's done pretty well, and uh, those would be some of the guys, at least on the offensive side of the ball, I would look for. And you mentioned Bailey Hockman. What is the opinion? Because looking at his stats, he seems like he's filling in all right. He's got one more interception than he does touchdown. What's the opinion of Hawkman down there in Raleigh? He's growing. He's getting better. Um, last season, he really struggled. Uh, at the beginning of this year, when he had the uh, when he first got the reins, when uh, Devin Leary got hurt, uh, he had issues. Uh, he struggled down in uh, Blacksburg when they played the uh, Virginia Tech. That's probably a game NC State would love to play again. I think they would do a, a lot better against the Hokies. Uh, but he's getting a lot better. He had a great game against Florida State. That's the school he transferred from originally, or the school he attended originally, I should say. And uh, he's getting there. He, he, I don't know that he's a, a, a P5 quarterback. I don't know that he's a guy that you would uh, give the reins to uh, coming out of a, a, a camp. But he's someone who's, who's getting there. He's starting to get a grasp of the uh, system. He's starting to uh, uh, find his way. And uh, he also looks to connect his teammates. They had one game. Uh, um, they had one game. It was actually the Seminoles where uh, they connected with Thayer Thomas, a slot receiver. Uh, that was what the Seminoles were giving. They were giving the underneath, and he just picked them up, apart the whole game with uh, passes, uh, slants, and dump offs to uh, Thomas. And he used what the other team gave him. That's a sign of growth as well. So he's he's uh, to me he's a good serviceable backup, and uh, he's doing a good job for NC State to be bowl eligible this year is a win for that program. Hawkman did have some turnover issues last week, though, two fumbles and an interception. And Syracuse has that reputation on defense of being a turnover machine. How does how does Hawkman improve with, you know, ball security? Well, you're fumbling the ball. I mean, they don't they don't need him to run. They need protection. Uh, Liberty uh, last week uh, really blitzed well. They, they were in the backfield a lot. Uh, I don't know if that was a schematic thing or if that was a situation where NC State's line just couldn't handle them. Um, I, I would have thought NC State's line uh, would have done a little better, quite frankly. Uh, I think he has a tendency sometimes to try to force a pass or two here or there, and that's where his interceptions are coming in. Uh, the interception was a ball he should not have thrown, um, and it was on a drive where NC State was in field goal range, and they only won the game by one point. It, it, they were lucky. I mean, that, that, that was a turnover that could have cost them a victory against a ranked opponent. Um, I think if I'm Syracuse, I'm looking to blitz him uh, up the middle. I'm looking to you know, create some havoc. I think Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken, is, a, is an odd front team, just like NC State is defensively. So, uh, they, you know, I don't know if they're going to send safeties or, or things like that. But I would want Hockman to roll out. I would want him to go do things because that tends to be when he makes his mistakes is when he rolls out to the left or to the right. Uh, but, he, he, you know, he's, he's, he's good. He's, you know, unfortunately from an NC State point of view, he's good for one or two bad throws. And, if, you know, if you're looking at it from the Wolfpack's point of view, you don't want the other team to catch that ball. You, don't, you hope they don't make a play on that. So there'll be plays out there, and there'll be opportunities for the Orange to kind of 
uh, uh, turn the narrative. Thomas Schultz, Ian Unsworth here on Fizz Radio, and we're joined by our special guest, Rob McLam, an NC State columnist for the Wilson Times. Now, Rob, I'm sure you saw SU shut out for the first time since 2016 against Louisville last week. What does the Wolfpack defense look like, and how will defensive coordinator Dave Huxtable attack really an atrocious SU offense? Well, it's it's Tim Beck now. He runs their defense. Uh, Huxtable is not there. He's... Uh, They've changed it to an odd front, which is similar to what Syracuse does. And they go, they send a lot of blitzes out wide. They have uh, four linebackers. Linebackers are younger, but they're pretty good. Um, I was I was shocked by Syracuse getting uh, shut out. I, you know, I know they're struggling this year, but I was shocked that they didn't score. It wasn't like they were playing an elite team in Louisville, but uh, I was a little surprised. I, I would not expect Syracuse to, to, to take another egg. That being said, NC State's defense is improving. Uh, they don't if they don't get the defensive uh, production they get against Liberty, limiting that team to 14 points. They they lose that game, and it was it was stunning because other than the game last season against Syracuse and Raleigh, their defense has been awful. NC State, I mean, has really been bad. They're getting trampled. Uh, they're getting you know people are running 200 250 yards. Some games almost 300 yards on them. So defensively. They're not really that good, but they did do better last season or last week, excuse me. So I think if I'm Syracuse, I'm wanting to run the ball. If you have a quarterback that can run the ball, those tend to give the Wolfpack problems. I thought Liberty schematically didn't do really well because I thought they had a running quarterback who could have done things, but for some reason they wanted him to throw the ball and he forced a lot of throws. I think he ended up 13-32 and somewhere along the line, I would have figured out this guy can't hit the pass, but. He could have ran. I mean, NC State is a team that will allow rushing yardage. They're a team that allow the dink and dunk. They're a team that will allow uh, the fade route and go route. When you get them isolated one-on-one, their cornerbacks uh, are, are young. On one side of the ball, their cornerbacks are sophomores. The other side, uh, their two deepest are, are freshmen. So you can, th- you can get yardage on them. It's out there uh, if you have primo protection and uh, you're able to get the ball out wide on the uh, – on the uh, RPO read option where you get the quarterback running, you can do things against NC State. Unfortunately, I wouldn't call Syracuse's offensive line primo protection, especially (laughs) because they gave up eight sacks to NC State last year. Do you think that's a trend that continues in 2020? Well, NC State has a great uh, front lineman. They have Lee McNeil. Of course, he's a tackle. Tackles tend to not get a lot of sacks. Uh, They'll send guys in from the linebacker position. Uh, odd front teams do that. The, the benefit of the odd front, obviously, is that you can send guys in and it's, it's it's a little less predictable where they're coming from. Maybe they'll come through the A gaps or through the B or they'll come out wide through the C. Maybe you'll send the safeties through there. Uh, that's the benefit of the odd front. For years, NC State was an even front team and they ended up sending the whole defensive line to the NFL a few years ago. That was the Bradley Chubb group, Justin Jones and those guys. So, you know, I think NC State, they have they have some good players. Daniel Joseph is another one he transferred in from Penn State. They'll they'll probably get some sacks. I mean, they had three of them against uh, – three or four of them against Liberty. And uh, that wasn't something we expected. We just did not expect NC State's defense. That game was projected to be a 40-37 to 37 type of game, and it ended up being 15-14. to 14. So if the trend continues, Syracuse will have problems because NC State's defense, uh, based on what they've done earlier this year based on what they did last year they practically stood on their head against the flames so uh my answer to you the short answer is yeah i think they will get get in the backfield uh but there'll be opportunities for syracuse to make plays 
Rob McLam, an NC State beat writer and columnist, joins us here on Fizz Radio. We're with you all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour. Rob, you talked a little bit about NC State's offense and really an anemic Syracuse uh, offense as well. They, they, they're not doing so well there. How, how does Syracuse um, expect with a, a better defense than offense? They're more of a ball hawk defense. How, what, what can they expect from NC State's offense on Saturday? Well, NC State will do some tempo. I don't know, you know, if that'll work. I mean, if they'll want to do that. Syracuse is a, is a quick, you know, when they were really good a couple of years ago, they were a quick, you know, uh, up-tempo team as well. And that was the 51-41 game up there last time they, they played uh, in the Dome. So, uh, I, you know, I think NC State's going to try to move the ball. They're going to try to, uh, to you know, do a tempo offense, be able, you know, be in a situation where they don't allow uh, Syracuse used to adjust scheme wise uh, to what they're doing. They have personnel and guys like Angeline who can play tight end and then bump out to the slot. They have guys, uh, even a back third string running back, Jordan Houston is a guy you could move to the slot. So they have guys that you can put them on the field and run, you know, quads, you can run offense. You can, in terms of two receiver sets, uh, trips and things. And then the next play, the same guys inside and they go a heavy offense and run and you not really be able to adjust to that. So that's the benefit of, uh, of, of what NC State has personnel-wise. Uh, the limit is uh, their, uh, their quarterback is, is you know, he, he makes some mistakes. He's young. He, he, you know, he's, he's, he's getting there, but he's a guy that he will give you opportunities to make plays. I think Syracuse has to, you know, when, when they have to make their so to speak, when NC State gives you that chance to make that, uh, that interception, when they put that 50-50 ball up there, uh, when, he, when he makes a bad read and throws it into double coverage, that can't be where the, the cornerback drops the pass and, you know, should have, could have had it. So you got to make those plays because NC State will give you some layup opportunities. Well, it's – I think we can expect Syracuse's defense to make some plays. The bigger question will be if the offense can reciprocate and get some points on the board. Rob McLam, thanks so much for joining us. You can check out all of his work at the Wilson Times where he's an NC State Charlotte Hornets columnist and an NC State beat writer for Inside Pack Sports. Now, when we come back here on Fizz Radio, it's time to get to your questions. It's Fizz Feedback. Stick with us on the other side of the score, 1260. Welcome back here on Fizz Radio as we round out near the top of the hour. Thomas Schultz alongside Ian Unsworth here all the way until 10 a.m. right before kickoff at 12 against NC State. And Ian, it's time for our favorite segment, our fans' favorite segment. It's Fizz Feedback. What's our first question today? Let's get into it, Thomas. So we're going back to basketball for a second. I think everybody's excited for basketball. Which SU guard are you most excited to watch this season? Is it Joe Girard? Is it Buddy Beheim? Is it the freshman Kadari Richmond, who we honestly have not mentioned yet today? Or is it someone else who might just make a random impact off the bench? I think for me, and I don't know, we'll have to see if Fizz, uh, Fizz Nation agrees with me, for me, I think a lot of people are going to go Kadari Richmond here. I'm actually really excited to see the jump that Joe Girard has made this past offseason from freshman to sophomore year. He kind of, for when you're a freshman, you don't know what you're getting into necessarily college-wise. Now he knows what to expect. He knows what he needs to improve upon. He needs to get stronger. He needs to become a better two-point shooter. That's where he was absolutely terrible last season. Actually, Ken Palm says he was a much worse two-point shooter against lower competition than he was against higher competition. He's he's the guy that I'm really looking forward to, to be the guy to na- make that next step. And how far Joe Girard can go will be how far Syracuse can go as a team. 
Well, 32.2% of Fizz Nation agreed with you. However, Joe Girard was second to Kadari Richmond, who had a whopping 55% of Syracuse fans say that they were interested most in watching him this upcoming basketball season. Buddy Beheim in third place with 11.9%, and I guess the 0.7% of the rest of Fizz Nation wanted someone else off the bench. I mean, I'm with you, Joe Girard. I think something we, I, the most important thing about Joe Girard, which we didn't talk about with him, but we talked about with Buddy Bayheim earlier, is that while Bayheim sort of disappeared in big games, I referenced that Florida State one in particular, Joe Girard really stepped his game up in crunch time when the lights were the brightest. He had 22 against Florida State. He really carried that offense. Like that is the kind of thing, like I said the word mojo earlier. Joe Girard has the it factor in. That's the most impressive thing. That's what's going to carry him going forward. And like you said, if he makes those improvements, Syracuse is going to ride him down the stretch of ACC play when, you know, the games get nitty gritty. You really need some guy to carry the scoring load. It can be Joe Girard. And what's really interesting about Girard, another Ken Palm stat I got for you here, Ian, he was a 5% better three-point shooter against Tier 1, that's top 50 opponents, than he was against Tier 2 opponents, which is the top 100 opponents. So against better competition, he was actually better, and that kind of goes to a test about your clutch gene and Joe Girard. And really also, as the season went on, we saw Joe Girard improve because we saw some of those games where he was going 1 of 9 from 3. I think he had one where he went 1 of 10. But as the season progressed, he got a lot, lot better. But of course, there's still a lot of concerns around this team. What's our Fizz Feedback question 2 for today? So we asked about the biggest concern for this SU basketball team. Is it the top of the zone defense? Is it rebounding? Is it the fact that Syracuse doesn't really have a star this year? Or is it something else? What do you think, Thomas? So for me, I'm, again, I think it's the top of the zone defense. I mentioned to it a little bit earlier, Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard were just, they were just terrible last year. Neither of those guys has the length. I know Buddy Bayheim, six foot five. He doesn't have the wingspan. And Joe Girard is maybe six foot one to be at the top of the zone. Of course, Syracuse had Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six there before these two guys. So, look, I don't know if maybe Jim Beheim says, you know what, let's slide Buddy down to the wing and put Kadari Richmond up top. I doubt it because Alan Griffin, you're going to have to find a spot for him. But I think the top of the zone, just like it was last year, is going to be a pretty big issue again this year. And I think that's going to be the biggest problem for the Orange coming into the season. But I don't know, Ian, what about you and what about Fizz Nation? What do they say? Well... I actually think it's the little star power because last year it was Elijah Hughes. Every single game, it was Elijah Hughes, you know, running this offense, setting the tempo, handling the ball, doing everything you could ask of a player. It, Elijah Hughes shouldered the load last year for Syracuse. And while he might not have been a nationally known star, he was Syracuse's star, bona fide star, second in the ACC in scoring. And hey, he got drafted above Jordan Wara the ACC's leading scorer. So, hey, NBA teams valued that star power that Elijah Hughes had. It's just not there yet. Like I said earlier, Alan Griffin might make that jump. Joe Girard might make that jump. Who knows? But, Thomas, we were both not, you know, in the swing of things with Fizz Nation. 43.8% of Fizz Nation said they're worried about rebounding as Syracuse's biggest concern. 30% top of the zone defense, 21% the lack of star power, and then 4.8% said they have a different concern that we did not list for the upcoming SU basketball season. I don't know what that other concern could be, but hey, maybe it's COVID. 
Maybe it's maybe it's front court depth. I don't I don't know what it is, but hey, I mean, there's a lot of little things you could point out. Well, one guy in our comments, Ian J, said scoring like every season. I get that, but I don't think that's going to be the issue this season. You got a pretty uh, high powered offense there with three just knockdown shooters. I don't think offense is going to be a huge issue for Syracuse. At least it shouldn't be. If it is, then there's a whole lot of other problems that we haven't discussed yet, which we'll have to talk about in future Fizz radios. But, Ian, we talked a little bit of basketball. we got to get to the game today. Football, two more games remaining. What's our third Fizz feedback for today? So, last Fizz feedback, because as I said earlier, we have to look towards the future with Syracuse. Which freshman, either redshirt or true, are you most thankful for since we're coming off of Thanksgiving in an extremely bleak football season? Is it Sean Tucker? Is it Garrett Williams? Is it Jacobian Morgan? Or is it someone else? I I got to go Garrett Williams here. I think he's going to be the next star DB for this team. I know you thought you were going to have True Williams and Andre Sisco for the, this season. Obviously, that didn't pan out. You still got Ify Melifonwu. I've said it once and I'll say it again, Ian, Nick Monroe is by far the best assistant coach on this Syracuse staff. He's the DB secondary coach for the Orange and every year, man, he just seems to accumulate talent. And a lot of this is just maybe guys that are kind of diamond in the rough, which become some of the best DBs in the ACC. And Garrett Williams, he's had his share of highlight plays this year. One of them being Trevor Lawrence's first pick six against Clemson down in Death Valley. This is a guy who I think is going to be a star and going to be just the next in line of this kind of not DBU because you got those Floridas and LSUs of the world, but a really, really good secondary year in and year out for the Syracuse Orange. And I think it also helps that Tony White coming from Arizona State, he's also got a background in working with secondaries, working with defensive backs. So I think that's just piling on, you know, Nick Monroe, as you said, an already great coach, then adding that extra experience, that extra pull with Tony White. Yeah, Syracuse should keep getting some great DBs. I'm excited for Deuce Chestnut in 2021. We'll see what he brings to the table. However, I'm going with Sean Tucker, and that's what what that's what Fizz Nation went with as well. 51.3% of Fizz Nation opted for Sean Tucker as their brightest spot in the freshman class. Garrett Williams coming in with a 43.6% approval vote. I mean, that's also pretty good. I'm I'm both of these dudes are the future of Syracuse football, but I took Tucker just because. Man, in, in the struggles of the Syracuse offense, he's made the offensive line look good. Let's be completely honest. Sean Tucker makes that Syracuse offensive line, which is atrocious by on every single level with a H-back starting at left guard. Sean Tucker manages to find a way with just his effort level every single week to make Syracuse offensive line look like a competent power five and there's nothing else you can say. He's doing his gosh darn best. Sean Tucker is out there every single week running his heart out. Yeah, Ian, Sean Tucker really is the only bright spot on this offense. Maybe you can point to Anthony Queeley as well. Of course, he only had three catches, but Syracuse as a team only had six completions against Louisville on Friday night. But maybe they turn things around today here against NC State in the Dome. It's the final home game of the season and it's starting in just a couple of hours that'll just about do it for us here on fizz radio for ian unsworth i'm thomas schultz and you can check out all of our content on orangefizz.net and on soundcloud at orangefizz or wherever you get your podcast but for now that'll do it signing off we'll see you next time on fizz radio on the score 1260